Because only old money can afford to actually spend the time and invest the time it takes to, for example, understand uh, like a complicated uh, symphony orchestra, for example. Mm -hmm. And so some of the brands associated with old money uh, are equally low-key based on my research. I Mm. see uh, Ralph Lauren being like an old money kind of brand. And when you look at fashion across different generations, they all seem to look like they are attending some kind of tennis match. All right, so... (laughs) You're listening to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast, the show where personal finance is about the person, not just the numbers. Here on BFF, we talk about how to make money your best friend so that you can have the freedom to make the most out of life. We go through the honest discussions about money so that you don't need to make the same mistakes. We demystify jargon so that no one can smoke you with complicated acronyms. After all, money's greatest value is to give us control over our time, which is truly our greatest asset. I'm your host, Junus Yu. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast. Today, we have our very special guest and our most favorite personal finance troll, Chris Ong, back in the house. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello, it's good to see you again. I'm glad to be here. My fellow Kopitiam buddy. All right. So today our topic is about old money versus new money in relation to a, your recent blog post versus the fire movement. Yeah, that's right. So in, back in the 1920s, social classes segregated people into different groups. And I guess, the, you know, the guy who wrote The Great Gatsby, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yep. So essentially new money, he categorizes as being unwise and, you know, pretty much reckless with regards to how they spend their money. Right. But then old money are people who he describes as financially responsible people who know how to maintain and handle their wealth. Like the DuPont family, Mm, Carnegie Mellon family, Rockefellers. Rockefellers, right. Um, You know, whereas if you look at new money, this will be names that, you know, Gen Z's will be very familiar with, right? right? People like Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Larry Page, Bill Gates. These are the sort of like the new tech giants, right? A lot of these people, new money made their wealth in technology. That's right. But that said, you know, the difference between these two social classes, right? Old money versus new money actually seems to go beyond how they spend their money. It's also in terms of their personalities. Because yep. the new money spenders, they seem to be a lot more willing to share their wealth. That's right. Whereas in contrast, right, the old money are the people who are sometimes seen as, you know, guarding the family wealth. That's right. To the extent of, you know, they're seeking ways to increase that wealth, even it means stepping on other people. You know, that's a very terrible way to say it. But then, do you think that this definition is applicable today? I'm I'm not so uh, cruel to say these things about old money and new money. I I would say that old money and new money, uh, they're both sides of the same coin. Mm. Old money is characterized, at least in fashion, with muted colors. Mm. And they are interested in distinguishing themselves from the ordinary masses through multiple means, right? It's not just financial wealth, but through also cultural capital. Mm. Like one distinguishing factor of old money is an ability to appreciate art and music Mm. because only old money can afford to actually spend the time and invest the time it takes to for example understand uh, like a complicated uh, symphony orchestra for example Mm -hmm. and so some of the brands associated with old money uh, are equally low-key based on my research I Mm. see uh, Ralph Lauren being like an old money kind of brand and when you look at 
fashion across different generations, they all seem to look like they are attending some kind of tennis match. All right, so <laughs> yeah, so 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 that's uh, what I've discovered about old money. But if you actually look and you delve into the kind of finances that drive old money, mm. uh, you see this thing called a trust. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these old money people are trust fund kids, mm. and when you have money locked into a trust, you can't just take the money out and you spend it as you wish because yes. they didn't earn that money within that own generation. Mm. And so that limits their means to actually spend. I mean, compared to new money, of course, compared to ordinary mortals like us, <laughs> yes. they're still very wealthy. Yes. Yeah. So they have a more balanced way of distinguishing themselves from, from masses and it includes financial but also cultural capital. Mm. Now, on the other hand, when you look at new money, uh, new money made their own money within this same generation. But if you think about it, if you spend your life actually building up a company, you, you don't you can't really invest your time in building up taste. So it's forgivable mm. to say that somebody with new money um, <laughs> may not have the patience to sit through, uh, for example, a very complicated Shakespearean play, right? I mean, they, they just don't simply don't have the uh, patience for that. Mm. Uh, yeah, so you realize that new money is louder, their colors are, are a lot more vibrant. Mm. And I think the artist that represents everything about new money is Jeff Koon who's famous for that balloon dog mm. statue. Yes. Yeah. So I think it is very useful that we, we understand the differences between old and new money because uh, sometimes you, you, you do uh, engage with them in your daily life. And I would say that for Singaporeans, especially those who are status conscious, and that, that's a very human thing for mm. us to be, you take a lot of psychic damage when, when you are... <laughs> psychic damage. Yes, it does. Because, because these people are really wealthy and, and, mm. they are, and they are sort of like beyond your means. Mm. And sometimes you feel that, you know, maybe if I'm sitting in a group of like wealthy people, you feel like an imposter. Mm. And it's, it's something personal I like to share with. I, I teach investing and some of my students, uh, they're really successful. So mm-hmm. they, they sit on the board of directors mm. and they would invite me for coffee sessions and they will, I'll meet other SME bosses and we sit down and we talk together. Mm. And it's really, really intimidating because these guys, they build their business from ground up. They're, they're not necessarily academically inclined, mm. but they're really good with money and yeah. they basically have money oozing out of their ears. <laughs> Yeah, but so, I guess that's life, right? You, you, uh, it also means that as, as you change the group of people that you hang out with, you have that kind of feeling of inadequacy. And it's very important to understand how this old money and new money dichotomy works in Singapore society so that uh, at least you understand how it goes and you study this phenomenon. Mm. Uh, I cannot guarantee that it will make you successful, you, but you'll feel better yeah. if you understand their style. See? And their motivations for doing yeah. so or dressing in a certain way that's or right. how they spend money, right? Yeah. But you know, when you were saying that, I kind of remember like watching a documentary where um, new money in China, they were sending their children to these classes to emulate what old money kids would be like. Yeah. Horse riding. Horse riding. Culture appreciation. Right. But, I mean, this whole conversation sparked off from, you know, your, your post on old money versus new money, right? And right. you raised this excellent point on the counter culture. That's right. And I would like to consider my my personality to be in line with that counterculture, okay. right? Because I guess we are both very frugal people. Right. And you said that, you know, favorite brands are Decathlon and Uniqlo. I don't even have favorite brands, right? Because the clothes yeah. I wear are largely thrifted and secondhand. Okay. So it's whatever right. brand that. Yeah. So I think we both agree that there's actually no conscious need to show off wealth. Now, I think that it's, it's more important to broaden our discussion mm. as to what are the kind of defensive maneuvers, right, mm. that you can enact when you're face with old and new money at the same time, mm. and especially if you're middle class, right? Mm-hmm. The first response is, I imitate you. And majority of Singaporeans in the middle class, they do attempt to, to imitate 
new or old money. Mm-hmm. Especially when you look at people in the professional cast, yes. uh, the doctors, the lawyers and all that. Yep. I mean, while I cannot develop the kind of cultural capital that you have and be able to like appreciate great works of art or decorate my home with a Renoir collection, mm-hmm. I can get a Buy very a expensive Philippe. watch. Yeah, mm. Patek Philippe does come into the minds, right, of mm. a lot of Singaporeans especially. Then you create this chain reaction where the wealthier professionals would emulate by probably getting a Patek Philippe, but mm-hmm. uh, the people below that, they would echo the kind of sentiment. You see that their watches are also fairly expensive, mm. but they might belong like, like the Rolex in particular. It's, it's, a very, it's an old favourite, mm. right? And uh, I, I like watches because it seems that as a guy, the only way you can reward yourself and get something that's a little bit frivolous is a watch. I, I couldn't think of anything else. Isn't it a car? It could be a car as well. Yeah, but Just cars... Just wouldn't be seen as an yeah. investment piece. The problem with a car is that thanks to the COE, it's, it's really come to the level where even if I'm wealthy, you mm. know, I, I might not wish to buy a car. Mm. Of course, um, I was actually told by a friend I went hiking yesterday that his business partner loves driving his Benz around and loves telling everybody that he's got a Benz. Mm. You know, yeah. And for people like me, when I hear about people talking about watches and cars what I would do is I would check out the prices for Hourglass and Jardine Cycle and Carriage right that's and a I would see whether, way to do it yeah but it only costs a couple of thousand dollars to, to own these shares right so mm-hmm. yeah now that's imitation right where I cannot join the ranks of the new money or the old money but I can bring a certain aspect of the lifestyle into my life and companies love that because you create a range for the middle class that's mass affluent and you sell them by volume and, and it makes a lot of money for obviously shareholders like us who attempt to buy these companies into our account. Mm. So counterculture is the opposite of imitation. Counterculture happens like when you're in a secondary school class, if you're one of those kids that study hard, you get good results, you get praised by the teacher. But there are a bunch of kids who will never get praised by the teacher no matter how hard they study, <laughs> right? I mean, naturally, right? They might not be academically inclined. Mm. So for every generation, you always have kids that create a counterculture. Mm-hmm. And in the 1980s, we had a punk movement where mm. uh, people actually uh, had a mohawk hairstyle and we had Centerpoint kids. So these kids hang out at actually Far East Plaza and Centerpoint. It's not just Centerpoint, it's Far East Plaza. It's a whole range, right? It's, it's a whole range. Plaza and yeah, all the way to it's a really point. cool place where they sell their clothes called Lips Enterprises. They're still there. I was there just now. Oh, really? Yeah. But I don't see like Gen Z going there. I think it's not cool to go there. <laughs> yeah. So to, to create a counterculture is to build a different status hierarchy mm. in that I can create my own set of rules. And when young people do that together, the center points have their own rules. Like maybe the largest amount of esteem or renown will go to the person that emulates in those days, it was a J-pop star. I don't think the word J-pop was even present in the 1980s, but Seiko Matsuda, Hideki Saijo, these are the names. <laughs> yeah, I Most of the young people have not names. heard of it, right? Si Chen Xiu Su, right? Um, and, and, and young people like to emulate these uh, 1980s stars. And, mm. and because of that, you know, I, I don't find the current generation very different, except that they're all into BTS and Blackpink. So, so my generation had our own BTS and Blackpink, right? But BTS and Blackpink yeah. wouldn't be considered a counterculture, Yeah, right? they're very mainstream, yeah, very mainstream yeah, and then if yeah. you look at uh, BTS or Blackpink stars you know the, the brands that they are fronting yeah. you know sometimes it, it right. even tends to be old money that you know that's like getting Lisa yeah, yeah, right. to front their brand right you yeah. know you can Lisa and all that birthday party you know I guess, rich you know, enough right yeah 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 <laughs> I was having a discussion with someone at F1 yeah. But talking about counterculture, yeah, right? right? I also wanted to talk about this in terms of the latest cultural movements, because especially right. in China, right, right? Where the young Chinese are kind of like flocking to online groups that offer 
crazy extreme money saving tips. Okay, right? okay. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard about Stingy this. Stingy Man Club or something, I think no, they no, call it, right? Okay, no? they are called Crazy Money Savers. Okay, so Crazy on Money like Savers. So on a group on Douban, right. okay. there's a group called Crazy Money Savers, which has uh, you know over 600,000 subscribers okay. on that thread. All right. You know, they're like, oh, you know, we're not going to have expensive coffee. We're not going to drink bubble tea, which, you know, in Singapore, you know, it, costs, right. like, it can cost $9 yeah. sometimes. And then it also advises people to delete like the popular e-commerce apps, right? Okay, like, okay. Like uh, Pinduoduo or like right. Tianmao, like, which okay. is Alibaba, right? And also, they have started to have in their own right celebrities or people who have a lot of followers who are kind of advocating a kind of frugal, okay. super hyper frugal kind of uh, movement. So there's this lady in her 20s in Hangzhou and she basically has a lot of videos on how to make 10 RMB, which is like around $2 meals. Okay. It sort of like moved all the way around, you know, coming from China, which is, you know, a lot of it is new money and a lot of consumption habits that sort of like move towards like, you know, eating out, right. uh, keeping out of appearances, you know, keeping out the latest fashion trends, buying the nicest cars, watches, whatever it is. And right. it sort of like swung the other direction. Yeah, I think that's good. I think for China, what's really happening is that they're not looking at economic growth anymore, right? Mm. The Communist Party has clamped down on their tech firms. Yes. Yep. So as a result of that, I could have that 996 kind of lifestyle, but mm. there is no pot of gold waiting for me at the end of the rainbow. Mm. And so some of them would attempt to lie flat. And I think that the frugality movement is another offshoot mm. of the lying flat and the pailan kind of movement. Mm. Uh, but I think it is a more balanced kind of approach. Rather than to quit work entirely, why don't you save most of the money that you have? And get that yeah, buffer. But you, yeah, you, you have an ordinary kind of lifestyle where you work. They should have started doing this much earlier, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. but I think most people in the fire movement in Singapore are not doing it because of the economy. We do it because, uh, I think like I said, you know, in, in the past podcast, the INTJ personality type mm. tends to be attracted to, to this kind of fire movement. Mm. So it was basically people who already have some kind of an inclination or an aptitude towards a frugal kind of lifestyle. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I see it yeah. as like, I treat it as a game, right? Because yeah. I think in my early days when I was saving excessively out of necessity. Okay. But of course, you know, it's not socially the most acceptable yeah. because when you go out, especially in your early 20s, people are just earning their first salaries. They want to go to yeah, nice they, cafes. They, they, yeah, they want to go to nice cafes. And they're like, dude, I want yeah. to eat chai fan. I want to yeah. go and drink teh si, teh halia yeah. at... At Tanjung Paga yeah. is great, and then you're like, no, why do you want to do that? Like, yeah, I, I had the same problem too. When when I was building up my career at the start, the professionals in the early two thousands, hmm. yeah, they they love scuba diving. They like to talk about traveling. Yeah, way way before experiential goods are are considered the in thing, hmm. they were already doing that. But yeah, I just couldn't get along with my colleagues at the time. Mm -hmm. So I mostly am the troll of the data center. <laughs> yeah, I, I worked at the data center and I loaded tapes. I took out tapes. Mm. Yeah, but you can, you know, if you understand how old money works, this is where you can do a little bit of like status arbitrage, mm. right? If if you know and you self-identify as someone who is extremely frugal. Mm. So if you're able to get a certain degree of control over your life because you're financially dependent, then mm. you can actually invest some time to pick up some skills and knowledge in terms of cultural capital, mm. right? And actually, if you are willing to invest the time to do that, 
it's actually relatively cheap, right? I mean, you could, uh, for beginners, if you like a Murakami novel, it's, it's mm-hmm. chock full of these cultural references mm-hmm. yeah. that you would have to like cross-reference, especially when it comes to music. He's really very good at like working it into his novels, right? Mm-hmm. So it's something that you can do if you're a fan. Uh, literature is a good way of building up this cultural capital. And, mm-hmm. and the truth is that if you are highly educated in Singapore, it's difficult to hide it because of the way you speak English mm. and, and the way you behave. And actually, you, you won't lose any if, if your Foucault is fine. Yeah, people will be able to identify you from the way you speak, from your approach, you know, towards life and all that. And I think actually a lot, a lot of it is to start by actually not wearing a watch. Yeah. Start by not wearing a watch. Yeah, because you can tell a time using a mobile phone. Yeah, And yeah, a watch absolutely. is really, for a guy, a very frivolous uh, kind of purchase. It's a clear um, show of status. Yeah, it's a clear status play. But mm. at the end of the day, you know, what you talk about uh, matters a lot, right? So... It's true, yeah. but then maybe, I don't know. It, yeah. I, I also want to say it takes a certain level of maturity to say that, but I was wondering if it, that was yeah. an immature statement to say, you know, like you... If you uh, value Murakami versus buying a watch, right? I mean, you, well, if you think about it, I one don't feel bad about time. it. One takes yeah, time, yeah, whereas a right. watch you can buy immediately. Exactly, and and just to be fair, it's not easy to read Murakami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I read a lot of fantasy and science fiction, right? Mm. Reading Murakami, somehow Murakami just works for me. But I've introduced it to some friends, and I know it doesn't work for everybody. <laughs> But uh, I'm sure someone who has an English literature degree would probably consider my taste bad taste. Ah. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but then I, I'm suddenly reminded about the yeah. very first few podcasts where you did yeah. where we were talking about where yeah. w- what you study in, in, in university yeah. and how that correlates to income, uh, right? English yeah, yeah that's, that's true. That's true. So right now, I think this is the crisis in the humanities, right? Where... Mm. If you want to devote your time to build up your cultural capital, inevitably the trade-off will be the amount of financial capital that you have. Mm. And on top of it, sociologists are saying that because of the internet, right, anybody can pick up a copy of the Condé Nast magazine, you mm-hmm. know, uh, pick up the Architectural Digest magazine. Mm-hmm. And within a week, they would have the same cultural capital as you. They'll be buying the right kind of furniture mm-hmm. yes. and they can do the right kind of signaling. So it's yes. actually very difficult for old money to maintain that kind of position, you know, to continue to be in that pedestal. Yes. Yeah, whereas new money with their millions of dollars that they made within the same generation, they can... Uh, now, now, apparently, what's cool and chic is that it's not enough for them to wear designer gear. They, mm. they would... Their servants or their butlers will then wear designer oh, gear. Oh, yes, yes, you mentioned. They'll be the ones with all these uh, expensive gear, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, so... so that's the kind of game that I think we should just observe on the sidelines and enjoy it. Yeah, and, You're and, and let's not right participate. On the ability to <laughs> yeah. learn the habits of old money, right? I guess yeah. we'll end off with this. Because yeah. um, back then when when uh, Tinder, Swindler and Anna was like kind yeah, of yeah, like Anna, the popular Anna. shows, Especially right? Anna, Anna yeah. is like an example of yeah. somebody who is not old or new money. Right. But she very quickly learned the ways of how old money people operate. Yeah. And she was very studious. I mean, I really yeah. give props to her for that because yeah. she like speak very intelligently about wines about architecture yeah. about you know how she was looking to build this business and you know who she was connected to and, and that's yeah. a testament to how quickly she le- sort of like learned the habits of all money and was yeah. actually able to convince investors of the project that she was looking to build, right? Absolutely. And I think all money should be worried that, uh, yeah, you can simply pick up a couple of tips by just reading a magazine. Yeah, so what will all money do 
to retain that distinction, well, we wouldn't know, but mm. uh, we will have to see. You know, today I think it was a very interesting topic, actually something that I always wanted yeah. to talk about because I yeah. observed it a lot, you know, in my schooling days, right? Seeing yeah. a lot of old money around me and also, I guess, in the recent years, seeing how new money works. But, yeah. you know, the underlying thing is, for me at least, is, you know, I still stick to frugality, but uh, sort of like, like you said, yeah. observing and, you know, observing from the sidelines. Yeah, we, 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 we should build our own hierarchy, right, <laughs> within the fire movement. I guess that's, that's the bottom line. It's, it's cheap and, and there are actually a lot of barriers to do that because you've got mm. to read about the fire movement. Um, there, there are certain conventions you need to understand like what is the safe withdrawal rate mm. that, you know a lot mm. of these fire gurus talk about mm. things like uh, um, sequence of return risk you know, <laughs> this kind of jargon within that movement so so to be fair it's, it's not exactly something that you can just pick up right you need to do a little bit of reading and you need to be an investor true yes yeah, that's so. right so thank you so much thank Chris you. for being on. Really enjoyed having you here as, as always. All right, thank and we'll you very much. See you the next time. All right, see you. Many thanks as well to all of you out there for tuning in. This has been a fantastic conversation and we would definitely love to hear what you think about it. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us through the email podcast at melisten.sg or at my Instagram at misfitfi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on Me Listen or Apple Podcasts or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness Podcast is an original production from MediaCorp and recorded at Skate Live Studios, The Pod, powered by Audio-Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time. <laughs>